This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and we have a great show for you guys today. Unfortunately, last week, whenever I was talking about the Pacific Division, I didn't have all the information as right after I finished recording and editing the episode, we had the news. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes signed, so we'll talk about that to lead off the show, but a little bit later, what you can expect is a finish of our division previews where there's one division left and that is the metropolitan division one that is pretty close to home to me personally for one because i live in the washington dc area and for two because i grew up in the pittsburgh pennsylvania area so definitely a division that i am very familiar with and i'm excited to talk about throughout the season especially starting on today's episode but before we get into any of that i need to give a little bit of time to news from around the league because There was a decent amount of news over the weekend. Like I mentioned, to kick off this show, I want to talk about the one thing that was technically not out of date by the last time this podcast aired, and that is both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, they were restricted free agents holding out of Vancouver Canucks training camp, and now they're both under contract, both signing at the same exact time to contracts worth close to the same amount of money. I want to start with Elias Pettersson. He is a forward signing for three years, $7.35 million on an average annual value, a bridge deal for Pedersen. And when you look at the way that he has impacted the Vancouver Canucks, they had skilled players before Pedersen made his debut. They had Brock Besser. They had Bo Horvat. But Pedersen takes it to another level. I mean, when you look at his skill and when you look at his ability, it is on another level from those guys. And he has true superstar potential. And he's shown that he's going to be a very, very dangerous goal scorer in this league and a very dynamic player. To be honest, he's one of the most dynamic players and goal scorers in that entire Pacific division. So if he is able to play and if he is able to make a difference, he is going to be one of the main reasons that the Canucks will be able to compete for a playoff spot this year because he's going to be their leader when it comes to the forward core, I understand that Bo Horvat is the captain over there. I understand that Brock Besser is also a very talented player. I understand that they have plenty of talented players. I talked about Connor Garland's addition to the Vancouver Canucks last week. But if you look at it, it all really starts with the health and kind of just the appearance of Elias Pettersson. Now that he's under contract, now that he's in camp, it's much, much better for the Vancouver Canucks signing to a bridge deal. I mean, Hey, you have him locked up for three years. You're going to have to negotiate this more. I would expect that if he can stay healthy these next three years, that 7.35 million is going to get increased to probably eight or nine, considering what he's going to be worth. If he continues to grow upon what we've already seen. Now, last season wasn't a great year for Elias Pettersson. He was only able to play in 26 games because of injury, but you would expect after missing all of last year, having the summer to kind of 
relax and heal because the Canucks did not make the postseason. You would expect that he is going to be back and better than ever, and you're hoping that if you're a Vancouver fan. Now, that was only one of the two signings that they made that day. Obviously, Quinn Hughes, the eldest of the Hughes brothers, and we'll talk about Jack when we talk about the Metropolitan Division, in which I absolutely love everything that Jack has done in the past couple of weeks. But Quinn Hughes signs a six-year deal, locked up a little bit longer term there in Vancouver, $7.85 million AAV on the upper echelon of AAVs for defensemen. Now, this is an offseason where we saw defensemen make a lot of money. I mean, Dougie Hamilton made $9 million a clip to play in New Jersey. But Quinn Hughes, a young guy, has only been in the league a couple years, cashing in on a six-year deal, getting close to $8 million a year, especially for a guy that had a down season last year. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he did have a down year last year. He was not able to play effectively in the defensive zone, and that was the big knock on him is that he was he was a forward. You know, he's a defenseman that's okay. He's a great skater, probably one of the best skaters in the league, but his defensive ability kind of waned last year. Now, it was one bad season, so let's, let's not call it time of death already on Quinn Hughes' defensive abilities because he'll probably have a bounce back this year. He's one of the most offensively gifted defensemen in the league, so he's going to put up points. He's going to help facilitate that power play one up in Vancouver, and he's going to lead this defense when it comes to transitioning the puck, and that's going to be important in a division where it's not really about scoring goals as much as keeping them out of your own net, but if the Vancouver Canucks can go and run up the score on these other teams, I don't think the Seattle Kraken, I don't think the Los Angeles Kings, I don't. I know that the Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks are probably not going to be able to keep up. So if Quinn Hughes can help facilitate that offense in Vancouver, that'll go a long way in helping that team bounce up the standings in the Pacific Division. So good on the Canucks getting both RFAs, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes signed to contracts. The only real big name RFA left is going to be Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. Now that I said it, you know, that's the kiss of death. I said last week that I was looking for these two to sign. I didn't know if it was going to happen, and then they signed before the episode could even air. So now Brady Kachuk, still not signed. It'll probably come out before this airs tomorrow morning. So only one left to keep an eye on. We have just about a week until the NHL regular season kicks off, so there's still a week for Ottawa and Brady to come closer. Something else I did want to discuss before going into my Metropolitan Division preview is Amazon Prime released a documentary about the Toronto Maple Leafs season last year called All or Nothing Toronto Maple Leafs. So much access was given to the Amazon Prime guys. You see basically the entire season, and I'm going to be upfront and honest with you right now, I've only seen the first three episodes in full, and I've seen half of the fourth episode, so I haven't seen the end of the regular season, I haven't seen what they did in the postseason. I've heard that gets pretty interesting, especially around the John Tavares injury. But from what I've seen so far, it's a fun documentary. I enjoy watching the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I think you get to know the players more. You get to know that, yes, they do have personalities off the ice. I mean, Toronto is one of those teams that we didn't really worry about that as much because we've always seen, you know, Willie Styles, Willie Nylander on, on social media. Austin Matthews is kind of turning himself into the face of the NHL, and everybody obviously loves Mitch Marner. He's kind of just the childlike, play-like way that he is on the ice and off the ice. You kind of expected it, but this shows some of the personality of more guys like, I mean, Jack Campbell, known as Soupy for obvious reasons in the show, and 
for on his team. He's going to be the number one goaltender in Toronto this year. Showing his personality is something that we would not have seen without this. I mean, we might have gotten stories about it, but we wouldn't have truly understood what his personality is like without this documentary. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching Sheldon Keefe break the limit for the amount of F-bombs allowed on a documentary. I mean, it's like every other word for this guy, but, you know, a tremendous amount of respect for, for Sheldon Keefe and the way that he coaches the game. I mean, you get to actually get to see an inside track on how coaches think, what they have to deal with, some of the conversations they have to have with star players like Austin Matthews. I enjoyed that as well. The other thing, and it is in, I believe, the fourth episode, and I'm not going to say too much. I don't want to spoil too much of it. I don't want to say everything that happened in it. But Joe Thornton, Big Jumbo Joe, versus Nikolai Ehlers of the Winnipeg Jets. And it's all centered around diving. That scene was a lot of fun. I talk about, you get to see, you know, I already mentioned that it's nice to see how coaches and players kind of interact throughout the season. How Kyle Dubas and Coach Sheldon Keefe, they interacted throughout the season, around trade deadline, around the beginning of the season, around certain player decisions. But it's also fun to see Joe Thornton and his interaction with the referees. I know we get mic'd up situations, but we don't get to see that. We don't get to see Joe Thornton or any NHL player really criticizing the refs to the extent that we saw it in this show. So definitely check out All or Nothing Toronto Maple Leafs. I haven't finished it yet. I have about an episode and a half left. I will probably check in on on Thursday, no, excuse me, Friday's episode once I, I probably finish it this week. But as a, up to this point, I really liked it, and I don't think that anything's going to change. I think I'm going to enjoy it the entire way through. But definitely check that out if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. It's definitely worth the time for sure. And it, it helped me over this past weekend. It helped me get into the mode of hockey even more. Like, I'm already excited and already amped for the season. This just helps push it forward because that last week, you get a little anxious, you get a little stir crazy because it's so close. This helped push it forward throughout this past weekend for me. So definitely go check that out. The last thing that I do want to talk about, the last bit of news from around the league that I want to discuss before we head into the Metropolitan Division preview is from Detroit and Jacob Verana. Now, this is very unfortunate news for both the Red Wings and for Verana is he's going to be out at least four months after having shoulder surgery. You hate to see it, especially for a guy as dynamic as Jacob Verana is, as dynamic as he has been for the Detroit Red Wings since they acquired him last season from the Washington Capitals. It was supposed to be his first full season in Detroit. I was excited to see what he could do over 82 games because what he did in just 11 games played last season with the Red Wings was nothing short of outstanding. I mean, eight goals and 11 points in 11 games played with Detroit. That's ridiculous. I mean, the guy was a scorer in Washington, and that is basically all he is because the knock on him is that he doesn't play defense, which understandably is an issue. I mean, especially when you're looking at a team like Washington, who is last season struggling in net because they have two young goaltenders. But Jacob Verona traded for a guy like Anthony Mantha and some picks as well. He went over there to Detroit where, you know what, they weren't playing for much at the end of last season. So go out there and impress somebody. And he was on a contract year too. He, he earned himself a nice contract extension with the Red Wings. So it's very unfortunate 
that he's going to be on the shelf for the first four months of the season at least. He probably won't be back till possibly the Olympic break, maybe even a little bit later. So, I mean, you just hope for a quick healing for Jacob Verona. You hope he's all right. And you hope for the Red Wings' sake that he's able to come back and make a little bit of a difference this year. I don't think that's going to be a team that's going to be playing meaningful games by the time Verona is back. But they would probably like to see him in the lineup to see what they have with him. And what I can only expect at that point is going to be a bunch of their young guns as well. So that is the news from around the league. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to kick off our Metropolitan Division preview, starting with who I believe is going to be in the bottom four of this division as of today. We'll be right back. Hockey is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team lights the lamp. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm talking about a division very near and dear to my heart today. I'm talking about the Metropolitan Division, back together after a one-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I already talked about the fact that I believe that the Atlantic Division will be the most competitive division in the NHL. And I, I still believe that, obviously. I'm not going to go back on my word from a week ago. But the Metropolitan Division is right behind them. The Metropolitan Division, to me, is two teams that are clearly the best in this division. Then it's five teams that are all in a bubble around the same spot. Some on the rise, some on the fall, but still kind of all meeting in the middle right now, which is not going to happen for much longer, but... It's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's funny because I just have no idea what the Columbus Blue Jackets are currently doing. I, I'm not exactly sure where they're at. To me, they're similar to the Anaheim Ducks and what I said about the Ducks last week in that the fact that they have a lot of interesting players that are going to be fun to watch throughout the season. It's going to be fun to watch what they do and how they perform. But at the same time, the team as a whole is not going to be fun to watch. There's going to be some guys you're going to want to see, but once they get off the ice, 
you're not going to want to watch the Columbus Blue Jackets, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not sure where they're at as far as where Yarmo Kekalainen believes they're at. And I said that name wrong. Yarmo Kekalainen, general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. But as a whole team, I'm not interested in the Columbus Blue Jackets. When you look at certain players, yes, I am interested. Where are they at? Are they rebuilding? I don't think so. I mean, you look at the people that they sent out, and you say, yeah, that's a re- those getting rid of those players means you're rebuilding. When you trade a Seth Jones, whether you believe he is overrated or not, he's still a good defenseman. When you trade a guy that is highly touted across the league, at least in the eyes of general managers like Seth Jones, yeah, maybe you're rebuilding. When you trade a guy like Cam Atkinson, yeah, maybe you're rebuilding. I mean, even go back into last season during the trade deadline. They trade away the captain, Nick Foligno. Yeah, maybe you're rebuilding. Maybe that's what you're doing. But then you look at the players that they brought back in those trades. I mean, they brought back picks for Foligno, so that makes sense. But when you trade Seth Jones, yes, you get picks back. But you also bring in Adam Boakvist, an NHL-ready young player, who's going to be a, a pretty good player for this team. More telling is when you trade Cam Atkinson to Philly, you bring back... Jacob Voracek. Now I know Chuck Fletcher was trying to get Jake Voracek out of there. Figures that he needs a change of scenery and everything like that. But when you're rebuilding, a piece like Cam Atkinson could probably get you a a decent prospect and a pick. But they instead go with Jake Voracek. I guess hoping that he's going to have a bounce back after, you know, a change of scenery. But that's not what you're looking for if you're rebuilding. So that's what tells me that maybe this team is thinking that they're just retooling. I mean, they also bring in Jake Bean from the Carolina Hurricanes, a really good young defenseman. So they added some good pieces. They, they definitely did. But let's not forget how bad the Columbus Blue Jackets were last season in the Central Division. They were abysmal. And I don't think they're going to be much better this year moving back into the Metropolitan Division and into the Eastern Conference as well. I don't see a spot for them in the postseason. I don't see a spot for them in the top five. I don't see a spot for them realistically outside of the NHL draft lottery. I mean, that's plain and simple. That's where I see them. Now, like I mentioned, they they have some good players, and they're going to be fun to watch some of these performances from some of these players. I mean, you look at their goaltending, and you have Elvis Merzlikens, who's coming off of a contract extension that he just signed a couple weeks ago. He's going to be ready to go. And then you have another goaltender in Jonas Corposalo, who, I mean, if you remember the marathon game between the Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning in the postseason in 2020 in the bubble, Jonas Corposalo stood on his head and was the only reason that this team had a chance in that game. He's still there. He's still performing. And he's going to be on a contract year. So you have one goaltender that GM Jarmo Kekalainen has told and has made the commitment to in the future in Elvis Merz-Lincolns. Then you have a goaltender who's playing on a contract year. I mean, maybe they like Merz-Lincolns to the point where they're saying, okay, we're going to let Corpusolo play out a season. We're going to get the effectiveness of having a 1A, 1B this year. And then we'll either let him walk, or if he performs well enough, we'll sign him again. But again, where is this team at? Is this team rebuilding, or does this team truly believe that they have a shot at making the playoffs this year. If they do, I think they're wrong. So I'm not exactly sure what the decision-making between who you sent out and who you brought in for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, 
Other players that are going to be interesting, two more that I do want to mention. One being Max Domi. I mean, did we, did any of us really remember that Max Domi is playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets? What is, what is happening to him? I mean, you, you look at how he started the year or started his career. I should say 52 points in 81 games in Arizona. So just over a half a point a game player. And then he had 38 and 59 again, over half a point a game player. Stayed consistent with that again in Arizona, and then he got traded to Montreal. You know, there were questions surrounding why that happened, but it seemed like he found a home in Montreal that first season. He went out and put up 72 points in a full season. That's a great year for Max Domi. Now, he followed that up, bouncing back, kind of regressing to the mean, being a half a point a game player again, 44 points in 71 games played. But then last season, he was just so bad. I mean, he was almost at a half a point a game. But the goal scoring just wasn't there. Nine goals in 54 games. And it seemed like he was invisible. I mean, to be fair, he was playing on the Columbus Blue Jackets and they were not a great team last season. But it seemed like he wasn't even a difference maker on that team. Now, with a full 82-game season, you hope that he gets up back around, you know, 50 points. That's what you want. He's playing on a contract year, so, I mean, he's going to have to perform. But I also, I just don't know what's going to happen with that. Now, three years in Arizona start his career, two years in Montreal. It's going to be two years in Columbus if he's not traded. And then I would imagine, as most free agents do, he's going to end up leaving Columbus because... Unless he has a really good season, I don't see Max Domi re-signing in Columbus. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. But after that first year in Montreal, he became one of the upcoming stars in the league. One of the young stars in the league. And since then, it's just seemed like he's just faded more and more into oblivion. There are some players that thrived in the COVID seasons in 2019-20 and 2020-21. Max Domi definitely did not. Max Domi took a couple of steps back and just kind of faded into the background of the NHL. And you hope that now with the NHL coming out of the COVID pandemic, trying to get back to a normal schedule, that that helps a guy like Max Domi. I know he had some health issues that he was questioning whether or not he was going to even play last season, but he did. He played almost every game. He just didn't perform. And it's not only the fact that he didn't get there with his numbers. It just seems like his performance wasn't where we expected it to be. Now, it could just be one bad season. But at the same time, going into a contract year, he's going to need to play a lot better if he wants to get that pay bump that we all want to get, to be completely honest. That's fair. But honestly, I'm just surprised at how quickly Max Domi fell out of the national media's attention. And again, that might be, you know, he might be a victim of where he's playing. But at the same time, we still saw guys like Artemi Panarin. We still saw guys like Nick Foligno able to make a name for themselves in Columbus. You just hope that Max Domi is able to bounce back this season, even on a team that's going to be as dreadful as the Columbus Blue Jackets should be. Same thing goes for for Patrick Line. I don't want to continue to just badger on 
the Columbus Blue Jackets, but Patrick Laine is another guy there. He's playing on, on a contract season. He's going to be an RFA as opposed to a UFA, which is what we know Max Domi is going to be. But yeah, no, it's, it's not going to be a fun season in Columbus. I think they're going to fall victim to a lot of these really good teams in the Metropolitan Division. So with that, let me move on to another team in the New Jersey Devils. I loved everything the New Jersey Devils did in the offseason. Tom Fitzgerald, in my opinion, grade A performance in the offseason. You already had last season the youngest forward core in the NHL. So all of those players are getting a year older. They got a year of experience. They're going to get better. Guys like Igor Sharon... It's not an easy name, but I know it. Igor Sharangovich, Yanni Kwokanen, those guys are going to be better this year. And they were pretty good last season. Then you have some other young guys, namely a guy like Jack Hughes, who is quickly becoming a star in this league. I mean, the guy just has charisma. And I know that apparently all the Hughes brothers have just that slight little dash of charisma that they're always ready with, but Jack just oozes it. If you listen to any of his interviews heading into this season, the guy is confident, which is good because the guy, he's good. He's a good player. Last season, yeah, he, he might not have put up superstar numbers. He might not have put up star numbers. He scored 11 goals, finished with 31 points in 56 games. So he played in every game last year. But when you look at his shooting percentage and you look at the way that he played, and you look at his analytical numbers. This guy is going to score a lot of goals. And a lot more than 11 in a 56-game sample size. I think he's a 20-goal guy for sure this year. I think you can take that to the bank. Whether he's a 30-goal guy or not, I don't know. But I can see it. I mean, the guy had a 7.7% shooting percentage last season. That's, I mean, if you go to the mean, he's going to get more goals. And even before that, he had a 5.7% shooting percentage his rookie season. So at some point, you would have to imagine that once he finishes learning what the league is about, which in going into his third season, I think he probably has figured it out at this point, he's going to be extremely, extremely talented. He's going to put up some very impressive numbers, and he's probably going to lead this New Jersey Devils team that's going to have a lot of talented players. You also have to talk about the fact that Nico Hishier barely played last season in his first year as captain of this team. He dealt with COVID issues. He dealt with injury issues. It was just kind of a lost season for the Swiss Army Knife. So now you get Nico Hishier back. You have Jack Hughes confident as ever. And you want an example of that? Go to the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. Listen to their interview with Jack Hughes at the car wash in Chicago. NHL Media Day, for those who, who don't know what the car wash is. Jack Hughes said, We want to play meaningful games late in the season. I'm not going to go as far to say that we're a playoff team. But we want to play meaningful games. That's a confidence that this team is going to be better. And honestly, I believe them. I do. I believe that this team is going to be better. Not only because Jack Hughes is confident and Jack Hughes is going to take a big step forward, but everybody on that team should. Mackenzie Blackwood is a good goaltender, albeit not going to be able to play in any games in Canada as of right now. That defense added two really good pieces. I mean, they could have literally just added 
a first pairing defense and then bumped everybody down in responsibility. That, if you do that to any team in the NHL, they're going to get substantially better on the blue line. They basically stole Ryan Graves from Colorado. You had Joe Sackick on his back foot, which you don't usually get. And they stole Ryan Graves basically for nothing. And then they signed the biggest prize of the offseason in Dougie Hamilton. This team is going to be markedly better this season. And that is great for New Jersey Devils fans because the future is very, very bright for New Jersey. Do I think they're a playoff team? I, I don't quite think yet. Do I think they're going to, as Jack Hughes said, play meaningful games late in the season? Yeah, I do believe that. I think they're going to be a team that's going to hang around. So I'm excited to watch them. I mean, it's been a while since I've been this excited to watch New Jersey Devils hockey, but I am. I'm pumped to see where this team goes this season. I'm pumped to see what fits and what doesn't fit this season. I'm pumped to see guys like Igor Shangovich, Yanni Kwokin, and Nico Hishier, Jack Hughes, Dougie Hamilton. I'm excited to see what these guys do in their roles on this team. It's going to be a very fun team to watch. I mean, it's basically... If you take the New York Rangers two years ago and watch them. Once they added Artemi Panarin, watch them then. I'm not going to try to compare Dougie Hamilton to Artemi Panarin when it comes to big free free agency signings. But just watch where they're at compared to where New York was that season in 2018-19. You won't regret it. It's, it, it's going to be fun to watch. Let's move a little bit west of New Jersey and talk about the Philadelphia Flyers. Now... If Chuck Fletcher is going to get fired, it is not going to be for lack of trying to change this team. He made, he's probably the busiest, I, I would venture a guess, the busiest general manager in the NHL this offseason. And, and why wouldn't he be? The Philadelphia Flyers had pretty lofty expectations going into last season. Carter Hart was supposed to be a dominant top five goaltender in the league. The Flyers were supposed to be a juggernaut behind Elaine Vigneault, Michelle Therrien, and Mike Yo behind the bench. And they just fell flat on their face. They were pretty good to start the season. And then just, I think it's the second, like, it was end of February and all of March. The Philadelphia Flyers were one of the worst teams in hockey. They couldn't beat the New Jersey Devils. They couldn't beat the New York Rangers. It seemed like they couldn't keep their New York Rangers to under five goals. It was bad. It was a lost season for everybody in Philadelphia. So, obviously, they were looking to make some changes. And Chuck Fletcher, I mean, he if he did anything this offseason, he did change the landscape of that team. First, the players that are not there anymore that were there last season. Jake Borchek. Long-time Philadelphia Flyer is gone. Shane Gostisbehere is gone. Brian Elliott, the backup goaltender that was, at, at points, their, their better goaltender last year. He is gone. Nolan Patrick, former second overall pick. They cut bait. Done with him. Robert Hag, or Haig. I don't know how you say it. Philadelphia fans didn't like him, so they're probably happy he's gone. But Philip Myers as well was a good young defenseman. He is also gone. Those guys are all gone. Who did they bring in? The highlight was Cam Atkinson on the forward side. Now, while I think Cam Atkinson is going to fit this team pretty well, he's a pesky player. He's a guy that is an underrated goal scorer in the NHL, and he's done it for a long time in Columbus. 
as well. He's played most, I think, all of his career in Columbus up to this point. So seeing him on a new team, seeing him with some more talented players, seeing him in a bigger market, it's going to be good for Cam Atkinson. I, he's probably going to have a good year. You just signed a guy in Derek Broussard, giving him a shot. He's a guy that is just kind of bouncing from team to team, trying to find work every season. He's going to get a chance in Philadelphia this year. Okay, we'll see if he can regain the skill level and the ability that he had when he played in New York for the New York Rangers because that's the last time he was really a massive game-breaker is when he was with the Rangers. Now, the big thing is, last season, the Philadelphia Flyers' defense was really bad. They changed that going into the season. They made sure Chuck Fletcher made a lot of de decisions, but the defense was one of the things that he made sure to overhaul. Brings in a guy, Ryan Ellis, that I think is going to be very good for the Flyers. It's going to be a stable force back there coming over from the Nashville Predators. I think that's going to help. Keith Yandel, after being bought out by the Florida Panthers, signs a cheap deal to come to Philadelphia. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to help their transition game a lot, and he's going to produce from the back end, which is something that they needed and didn't get with guys like Shane Gostisbehere. So Keith Yandel is going to be able to help them offensively from the back end. Defensively, not so much. And then the one that doesn't really make sense, they pay an arm and a leg to pry away Rasmus Ristolainen from the Buffalo Sabres. Now, the Sabres are far from a team that has conducted smart business, but getting what they got for Rasmus Ristolainen out of Chuck Fletcher and the Philadelphia Flyers, that was a good move. That is one of the few good moves the Buffalo Sabres have made this offseason. Ristolainen, while definitely a large human being, definitely an NHL-caliber defenseman, analytically is abysmal. Analytically, he's one of the worst defensemen in the league. And the Flyers are a team that needed good defensemen. So I, if, if you're looking analytically, this was a poor move. Now, if you're looking size, good move. If you're looking, you know, brute strength, good move. If you're looking protector, good move. Other than that, I don't know. Unless he, he reinvents himself with a new team, I don't see Rasmus Ristolainen as a huge addition for the Philadelphia Flyers, minus just, you know, his size. And then to make up for Brian Elliott going down to Tampa, they signed Martin Jones coming over from San Jose. Now, Martin Jones did take the San Jose Sharks to the Stanley Cup Final in 2016, but it's always kind of been like a false prophet. I mean, my co-host on Tip of the Iceberg, Nick Horwat, he thinks Martin Jones is trash. I'm not going to go that far. But I don't think Martin Jones is the answer. Now, clearly, he's brought in to be the backup. Clearly, the whole reason that they underperformed last season was mainly because of bad defense and also Carter Hart. That's what you're hoping for if you're Philadelphia. You're hoping for Carter Hart to bounce back and the defense to be just good enough that it catapults them a little bit higher in the standings. Chuck Fletcher made the moves. He said, this team is different. We brought in a bunch of different players. We're trying to change the locker room. I think a guy like Ryan Ellis, that's good. I think a guy like Cam Atkinson, that's good. I think a guy like Keith Yandel, that's good. They're going to have a better locker room, for sure. Are they going to have a better team on the ice? I don't know. I put them in this middle tier of five teams that, that you know, they could get into the postseason. They could not. T to be honest, I also have the New Jersey Devils in there, but they're going to have to do a lot and have a lot of really peak performances by their players to make a postseason bid. Same with Philadelphia. They're not far off of where New Jersey is right now. 
they're going to need some really, really good performances from a lot of their players to sneak into the top three of this division. Now, can they be a wild card team? Yeah, they can be. But they're going to need all those additions to hit, especially a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen and especially a guy like Keith Yandel. So we'll see what happens in Philly. The last team before we go on the break, the last team in my bottom four is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I lived in Pittsburgh for five years before I moved down to the DMV. So yeah, clearly I know a lot about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I covered them in another podcast, the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I know a lot about this team. And I have them right now in the bottom four of this division. This team is getting older once again. I mean, every year they get older. Their core is Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and Sidney Crosby. All of those players are over the age of 32. Their third line center, when all healthy, is Jeff Carter. He's over the age of 35. They have some young players, but the young players aren't necessarily where you want them to be skill-wise. And they don't have a prospect system, so they don't have guys to lead on like they did in 2016-2017. Just an installation of youth from Wilkes-Barre's. It's not really coming. They have some players down there, but they're not really ready yet. So you're probably not going to see them make a difference this season. Obviously, the big storyline for the Penguins heading into the season is the fact that they're going to be missing Sidney Crosby for the first week of the season. At least. He's expected to miss the first week. He might be back in the second or third week of the season. So you're going to miss him for four, maybe five games. Only a handful. But that's still five games without Sidney Crosby in a tough division where you're playing some tough teams. I mean, you start off in Tampa and then in Florida. Those are two really hard games to play without one of the best players in the NHL on your team. And then there's the fact that you're missing Evgeny Malkin for at least two months. So you're starting the season without your top two centers on a team that is built around and predicated on depth down the middle. Like I mentioned, Jeff Carter is the third line center. Well, now he's the number one center to start the season. Again, maybe only for a week, but that's where you're starting. That's that's your jumping off point this year. And then you look at the fact that they're already having some COVID issues. Earlier last week, Zach Aston Reese, I know he's a fourth liner, but analytically, he, he's an analytical darling. Zach Aston Reese, COVID-19, has not returned since. Just on Sunday, Jake Gensel, who if you take out Crosby, you take out Malkin, you have Latang and Gensel. Those are your top two players. And now Jake Gensel on the COVID-19 list, testing positive. Not a good start to the season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And a team that's already going to be in a dogfight to clinch their 16th straight postseason. They also have a goaltender in Tristan Jari that when they bowed out of the postseason last year, he looked bad. He did it really poorly. Now Ron Hextall, the Penguins general manager, and Brian Burke instilled some confidence in him by not adding any goaltenders. They brought in Louis Domingue to be the third stringer, but he's not going to push Tristan Jari for the starting job, and neither is Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith is a good backup goaltender. Maybe even a good 1B at the peak of his powers but he's not going to push Tristan Jari to be the starter. So can Tristan Jari be good enough in the postseason? That's the question. Can Tristan Jari forget last year's postseason and be good enough in the regular season to help carry this team without Crosby to start and without Malkin for the first couple of months? So can this team contend with this division? If they were in the Pacific, I'd say, you know what? Yeah, they'll probably make the playoffs. 
because it's Crosby. Even if he's missing some time, it's Crosby. In this division, in this conference, I'm not so sure. Now, when 87 comes back, it was announced earlier in the week that he, Connor McDavid, and Alex Petrangelo are already selected to Team Canada. Obviously. But when he returns to Pittsburgh, as he's already skating, it's a wrist injury, it was wrist surgery that happened five weeks prior to the season. When he returns, can he carry this team to the postseason? Yes, he can. Because he has before, and he will again. If he has to. If getting Malkin out for two months hurts, it's not detrimental. I think they can still survive, especially the way that Jeff Carter played last season. If he can duplicate that in a second-line center role, the Penguins will be fine. I think the Penguins will be fine. They'll be able to hang around and contend. Do I think they're going to win the division like they did last year in the East? No. I don't think you're going to see the Pittsburgh Penguins putting 2021-22 in their division championship banner. That's not going to happen. But is this team going to make their 16th straight postseason? I still believe Sidney Crosby can lead them to that. But going into the season, I don't have them there. I just don't. I don't have them as a top four team going into the season. As I sit here today, I would probably put them right where I discussed them at five. But that is, of course, you know, they need to get the COVID situation under control. You can't keep having players start to miss. They're up to two now in a week. We'll see if that's just two flukes or not. That's going to be a big thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going to take a quick break. I took a little longer than I usually do on that segment. I'm going to take a quick break. When I return, we're going to be talking about the top four teams in the Metropolitan Division. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at signup when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app. We're talking about the Metropolitan Division, the last of my four division previews. So technically, right now, I've previewed 28 of the 32 NHL teams heading into this season. There are four left, and we're going to kick things off with the Washington Capitals. The nation's capital, the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. They're still a team that, although they've had a couple of bad postseasons the last couple of years, since they won their cup, actually. First round loss to Carolina in 2019. First round loss in 2020 in the bubble. Did not play well. First round loss, if I remember correctly, in 2021 as well. Trying to think. Yeah. Once again, first round loss to Boston. This team has not performed since they won the cup. And they did not play well last season in the postseason after the first game. Yet they didn't change a single thing. They brought back exactly what they had. They're saying, we're running it back. We think the team is better than what they showed last year. We're going to try it again. 
The major difference is they don't have Zidane Ochara. Okay, they, they don't have Zidane Ochara. But you know what they do have? They do have Anthony Mantha for a full season. They paid a lot of money and Jacob Verana to get Anthony Mantha over to the Washington Capitals. And he looked pretty good to start in Washington. He did not really perform in the postseason, but now you have a full season of him in that system. We'll see what he does. Is he a 20-goal scorer? Maybe. Is he a 30-goal scorer? Maybe. But he fits the mold in Washington. When I saw that trade happen, it seemed very, very correct to see him go play for the Washington Capitals. He just fits the mold there. Now, to start the season, they are going to be missing Nicholas Backstrom. That's huge. You know, your, your first line center. You're not going to have him available. You know, the, the yin to Alexander Ovechkin's yang, he's not going to be there to start the season. So who do you have at center? I mean, you have Lars Eller. Okay, he, he's pretty good. But is he, a, is he a top line center? And then you have Evgeny Kuznetsov. What's going on with Evgeny Kuznetsov? There are a lot of people that expected him to be traded. But because of the cap hit, because of the off-ice issues, because of the performance on the ice last year, the Capitals were unable to move Evgeny Kuznetsov. So he's still he's still in Washington. He, he can turn it around. But what's going to happen down the middle for the Washington Capitals? That's a big question mark going into the season. Also, they're one of the two oldest teams in the NHL once again. Last season, they were the oldest team in the National Hockey League. This year, I think because of the Islanders adding both Chara and Parise... And the fact that they were already in second place. I think Washington's probably going to bounce down to second. I don't have that for sure. But they're one of the oldest teams. They're a team that hasn't performed at all in the past three postseasons. And they're a team that is heavily predicated on the fact that size can win hockey games. And in this division, you have a little bit of everything. You have size winning hockey games in Washington. You have that and defense in New York with the Islanders, but then you have young youth and offense in the Rangers. You have predominantly offense. I wouldn't say mostly youth, but you have offense in Pittsburgh. You have youth and offense in New Jersey. It's kind of a mix match of what you have. And then you have the Philadelphia Flyers, which is just a, just, you know, a kettle full of different ages and skill types and, Everything of that sort. But you look at the Washington Capitals. At this point, are they a team that's trying to contend for a Stanley Cup? Or are they a team that's trying to get Alex Ovechkin to catch Wayne Gretzky? Clearly, that is on everybody's mind. This is kind of the first year that that's really going to heat up. The storyline started coming around, what, at the end of the 2018-19 season? Oh, Ovi is, you know, he's still going. 2019-20 season, yeah, he's he's still going. He's still scoring in bunches. Last season in the, in the lockout-shortened season, yeah, no, you know what? Alex Ovechkin, in these different circumstances, is still really good, and he's still scoring, and he's he's climbing that list. He's top 10. He's passing Mario Lemieux in goal scoring. He's passing this player in goal scoring. Now he sits sixth all-time with 730 goals. believe he needs a 36 goal performance or a 37 goal performance this season to pass Yarmir Yager and become sole possession of third all time 
when you're talking about a guy that could become third all-time in NHL goal scoring by the end of the year, putting up 37 goals in an 82-game season, which is not out of the ordinary for a guy like Alex Ovechkin. I think we can expect 30 goals from Ovechkin. I think that is pretty pretty much expected, which would put him in fourth. But 40, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. But the question mark is, is this team worried more about the Ovechkin goal chase than another Stanley Cup? Now, I don't think anybody in that locker room or anybody in that front office will admit to that. I talked for my other podcast, The Tip of the Iceberg, with the boys from Caps Chirp, Hockey Troll, and Polly Cupcakes. And they both seem to be more concerned right now with Alex Ovechkin catching the great one than they are about another Stanley Cup. I believe an exact quote from Polly Cupcake was, we can win the cup in five years. That's fine. Or five or more years. But these next five years, let's get Alex Ovechkin to the number one spot there. Hey, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. And you know what? That would be absolutely amazing. Sidney Crosby's endorsing Washington Capitals star Alex Ovechkin to go do that. Everybody around the league wants to see him do that. The chase is going to be fun. And this year is where really where it heats up because he's going to be moving into the top five. He's going to be moving ever closer to Wayne Gretzky. And every year that he can put up 35 or 40 goals, it's just going to be less work for him to do whenever he gets into the latter stages of his career. He just signed in the offseason a five-year extension. So you're hoping, if you're the Capitals, that he can get it done in that five seasons. I wouldn't put it past him. Now, when it comes to the moves made in the offseason, like I said, they basically brought back the same team. They lost Vitek Vanacek, the goaltender, in the expansion draft, and then they got him back via trade. So they have the exact same team. They didn't even lose anybody technically to the Seattle Kraken. So we'll see what Washington can do. They were a team last year that threatened to be a division champion in the regular season, then fell short in the playoffs. Do I think they could be a playoff team in the Metro? I think they could. I think... The Washington Capitals, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Philadelphia Flyers, and even the New Jersey Devils are kind of all in limbo. And then there's one team that I think is still in that area. I'm not ready to fully buy in yet, but I think they have a, a leg up on those other teams. And that's the New York Rangers. Now, I'm not ready to fully buy in on the New York Rangers yet. I'd love to, but I, I don't think I can. The New York Rangers bought into themselves a lot in this offseason. If you look at their moves this year, there was a clear, what's the word I'm looking for? There was a clear target in every person that they signed. And that is size. And that is playoff experience. Because the one thing the New York Rangers lacked last season, especially if you look at the whole Tom Wilson, Artemi Panarin thing, was enforcers. Now, to me, the biggest addition for the New York Rangers this year was the fact that they now have head coach Gerard Gallant. If you look at what he did in Vegas in that expansion year, his first year in Vegas, I mean, Vegas' first year in total, being able to rally those players the way that he did, this is a guy that is a very talented head coach in the National Hockey League. This is a coach that has won the Jack Adams Award. You bring that into New York, I think that is a huge addition. Now, on the ice, their additions, a little bit of question marks for me. There's, there's a couple of questions 
in my opinion, about what they did to add on the ice. They added size. They added grit. They added playoff-type players without knowing if they're a playoff team. Now, they're, they're taking the gamble, and they're saying, you know what, we are a playoff team this year. They've been on the rise the past couple of seasons, but haven't been able to quite punch into the postseason. They believe they're a playoff team, and these additions prove that. They make a trade to bring in Ryan Reeves from the Vegas Golden Knights. Clearly, if you're trying to figure out a Tom Wilson issue with Washington, you bring in the guy that has historically gone toe-to-toe with Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves. Now, there should be a cautionary tale in this division with the Pittsburgh Penguins because they did the same thing and it didn't work out. It was a waste of everybody's time, mainly because the head coach and Mike Sullivan did not want to deploy Ryan Reeves in the way that Ryan Reeves needs to be deployed to make any impact on the game. Will Gallant do that? That's a question mark. The New York Rangers also paid an arm and a leg. They paid the Stanley Cup tax to bring in Barclay Goodrow on a massive extension. They clearly overpaid a guy that played on the third line of a Stanley Cup winning team. I understand that that third line was one of the best third lines that we've ever really seen from a back-to-back Stanley Cup championship team. I mean, that line was huge in the Goodrow-Coleman-Gord line. But I would, you know, I would venture to guess, by venture to guess, I mean, I would state that Barkley Goodrow was the third best player on that line and the third most important player on that line out of three. Not to say that he's a bad player, because he's not, but at that price tag, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to live up to that in New York. But they're the Rangers, and they can afford it, I guess. They also bring in Sammy Blay, Stanley Cup champion with the St. Louis Blues in 2019. A little bit of size. He's six foot two, a little over 200. Then on the back end, they bring in size, six foot three, Patrick Nemeth. And then they bring in the freaking giant, Jared Tenorti. They added size. They added grit. They're not going to, they don't want to be pushed around anymore. That's basically what I got from these moves. They don't want to be pushed around. But these moves are for the postseason. Yeah, is it going to help when you play a team like Washington in the regular season and Tom Wilson is out there? Yes, it's going to help. Is it going to help when you're playing a team like the New York Islanders who like to play physical? Yes, it's going to help. You're going to be able to push back a little bit. But predominantly, these moves were made with a thought towards the postseason. And I'm not necessarily sure they're there yet. Do they have the skill pieces? Yes. Do they have the team? I believe so. Do they have the coach now? I believe so. I think this team is going to be really good this season. They're going to be really fun to watch. But do I think adding five pieces like that was necessary? No. I think they overdid it, especially the money they paid for Barkley Goodrow. I think that's really where they overdid it. But I still look at the Rangers. I mean, Artemi Panarin, I think, is going to be a candidate for the Hart Trophy this season. He was a couple years back. The guy, if he can stay healthy, is one of the most electrifying players in the NHL. And same goes for Mika Zibanejad. You know, there's talks that Mika might be the captain there. They haven't named a captain in a while. Since the departure of Ryan McDonough. Mika Zibanejad is a guy that is a leader in that locker room. Mika Zibanejad is a guy that is a very, very talented goal scorer. A guy that could put up numbers close enough to contend for a Rocket Richard if it wasn't for Austin Matthews being absolutely ridiculous. And same with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and David Posternock. 
realistically, it's those four and then everybody else. But Mika Zibanejad, he scores in bunches. And when they come, they come very, very quickly. They have Adam Fox, who's the reigning Norris Trophy winner. He's going to be extremely talented this year. They have Ke'Andre Miller on the back end going into another season, another season older, another season of experience. That's going to be good. Then you have Lafreniere in his second season. What's that look like? What does Capo Caco look like in his third season? Caco made improvements last year. Does he continue to make improvements going into this year? Does Lafreniere become the number one overall pick that we expected him to be coming into the league and making an impact? If the answer to all those questions is yes, then yeah, the New York Rangers are a playoff team. And yeah, those additions are warranted. But if they don't make the playoffs, you're going to have to look back and say, well, why did we add five guys of the same ilk? Why did we have five guys that seem to be moves for the playoffs when we didn't know if we were a playoff team? They have not made the playoffs since 2017. They haven't. They haven't made the playoffs since they sent out that letter saying they were rebuilding. Now, they did probably the quickest rebuild in history because this team is is going to be good. They're going to be interesting. They're going to be fun for a lot of years to come. But are they a playoff team yet? Are they there yet? I don't know. That's That's my question mark. So those are the five teams in the middle to me. I mean, New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Washington Capitals, and the New York Rangers. Those teams can go in any configuration, and I would not be surprised. Those teams can finish in any configuration. And honestly, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Penguins could finish in seventh. The Penguins could finish in third. Same for the Washington Capitals. Same for the New York Rangers. Philly and New Jersey, I think they're going to have to do a little bit more work, but I could see it happening. But then after all of that, and then you also add the Columbus Blue Jackets, who I think are going to be in last, you look at teams like the Carolina Hurricanes. I think this team and the other team that I haven't mentioned yet are clearly the the best two teams in this division. Will they finish in the top two? That remains to be seen. It's a long season. Carolina did make some questionable moves in the offseason. But they're the reigning Central Division champs. When you talk about which division the NHL this season is going to be the best, I mean, the Metropolitan Division is the only division that has two defending champions. Two defending divisional champions, I should say, because I guess technically the Atlantic has Toronto, who's the reigning defending North Division champion, even though that's not a division anymore. But they also have the Stanley Cup champion. But... Two division champions in this division. The Penguins won the East. Carolina won the Central. Carolina. Young team. They've kind of changed what their fabric was going into this season. They offer sheet and add Jesperi Kakaniemi on a one-year $6 million contract. A little expensive, but they wanted the player and they got the player, and that's going to help their center depth. He's going to need to hit. If he does not hit, that's a bad move. Do I think he's going to? I think there's a good chance that he does. But if he doesn't, that's a bad move for the Carolina Hurricanes. Another huge loss for them was Dougie Hamilton. It wasn't expected that Dougie Hamilton was going to re-sign with the Carolina Hurricanes, and he has been a big part of the reason that this team was the Central Division champs last year. Big part of the reason why this team has been so exciting to watch and has been so good the last couple of seasons. So you lose Dougie Hamilton. You're not going to be able to bring in anybody that's just going to straight up replace Dougie Hamilton one for one. 
they kind of overhauled their defense. They overhauled their entire back end. Is I'll talk about it in a second. Their goaltending room is 100% different. But on their blue line, Dougie Hamilton's gone. They bring back and bring in a guy like Ian Cole. Okay, Stanley Cup pedigree, good defensive defenseman, going to help you in his own zone a lot. I like that. I think Ian Cole is one of the most underrated defensive defensemen in this league. So you bring in him. You bring in a young defenseman like Ethan Bear in that trade with Edmonton that sent Warren Fogle up north. So you have Ian Cole, Ethan Bear. You sign Tony D'Angelo. Now with all his off-ice merits excluded, Tony D'Angelo is a half-decent defenseman. He's had some pretty unbelievable highs and some pretty unbelievable lows. You just have to hope that he doesn't punch out any of your new goaltenders. Because the goaltenders they have have some injury issues. So you definitely don't want him getting into fistfights with them. So we'll see what happens with the whole Tony D'Angelo thing. And then they bring in a guy from New York like Brendan Smith. So understandably, you lose Dougie Hamilton. You're not going to be able to replace him with a single player. But they bring in a bunch of new players to hopefully divvy up the time and responsibility that Hamilton left and figure it out. Do I think Jacob Slavin is going to be able to be a good number one defenseman for Carolina? Yeah, he is. He's going to be a pretty good number one defenseman. Do I think the Carolina Hurricanes are still going to be good? Yes. Look at their forwards. They're going to be good. They're going to score a lot of goals. And this defense, while yes, it sucks to lose Dougie Hamilton, they put it together in a way that it could still be a very good defense. Could. But a big question mark is the goalies. The question was always, can Carolina find goaltending before? Was Could Peter Mrazek be that guy? Can James Reimer be that guy? Well, those two are now both gone. Well, that's fine because last season, Alex Nedeljkovic came up and became a Calder Trophy finalist. Except he's gone now too. They didn't want to pay him after such a short stint. That's fine. Detroit would pay him. But now you're out three goalies. You lost your first, second, and third string goalies from last year. They replaced them with goaltenders that, at their best, will get them to where they need to go. They will get them to the postseason. They will get them a top seed in the Metropolitan Division. And Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta. If they're healthy. Frederick Anderson is coming off a year where he was on the shelf many, many times. In the first segment of this show, I talked about the all-or-nothing Toronto Maple Leafs documentary. Yeah, Freddie Anderson's injuries was highlighted a lot in that. Can Frederick Anderson stay healthy for the Carolina Hurricanes this year? That's huge. Can Antti Ranta stay healthy for the Carolina Hurricanes this year? That's huge. If they can, then they're going to be fine in the regular season. Whole another animal in the postseason because Freddie Anderson historically has not performed in the postseason. Nobody in Toronto has, to be fair, but Freddie Anderson himself has also struggled in the postseason. So, are the Carolina Hurricanes going to be a playoff team? I would say it's probably a guarantee that the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders are probably guaranteed to make the postseason. I wouldn't be shocked at all. I wouldn't. And while, while I already mentioned them, Let's talk about them. The last team I have not talked about of all of the teams in the NHL, the last team I'm going to talk about is the New York Islanders. And it's kind of poetic justice that the Islanders are the last team that I preview this year. 
because I have dogged on them. I have disrespected the New York Islanders a lot in these past two years. And they've shoved it up my hoop on numerous occasions. I've talked crap on them when they went up to play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Both times in 2019 and in 2021. They embarrassed them in 2019, 2021. I still think the Penguins were the better team in that division, or in that series, I should say. But, you know, the Islanders found a way to win because that's what Barry Trotz and the Islanders do. They find a way to win. Now, on paper and going into the season, and as of right now, the New York Islanders, to me, are the best team in the Metropolitan Division. Are they going to win the Metropolitan Division? No, I don't think. I, I, I don't. For one, they're, they're the oldest team in the NHL. And while I've used that excuse and used that as kind of a barometer of where I believe the Islanders will finish, Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz have, have taken that and used that and create playoff teams that can compete in the postseason. So are they going to be a good team? Yes. Are they going to be hard to beat? Yes. They're going to be almost nearly impossible to beat because they always are. Because that's what Barry Trotz does. But. Are they a team that over an 82-game season can continue that pace of play, can play balls to the wall the entire time? I don't think so. I mean, this team in the regular season, in the past couple seasons, they've had inconsistencies. That's why they finished fourth in the East last year. That's why they weren't able to solidify a top seed in the bubble. And that's why the year prior, they had a really good team. They should have won the division but they lost it to Washington late in the season because it's very hard to play New York Islanders hockey for 82 games. It's hard to play New York Islanders hockey for 56 games. But you know what they do? They do just enough to get into the postseason and then they hit the gas pedal. I expect it to be the exact same this year. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think you can take that to the bank. And I think once they get to the postseason, they're a team that should be a favorite for a Stanley Cup. To me, if there's any team in the Metropolitan Division that is a favorite for a Stanley Cup, it's the New York Islanders. Why? I mean, the last two years they've gone to the Conference Finals. Both years they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning, but the Tampa Bay Lightning turn out to be the Stanley Cup champions. Last year they lose one to nothing in Game 7. Otherwise, it's an Islanders-Canadians-Stanley Cup Final, and who knows where that goes. This team is going to be good once again. Because, honestly, this team brought back basically everybody. They added Zach Parise for a pretty cheap contract. They added Zdeno Chara. Not that this team needed veteran leadership, because they're a pretty old team to begin with. I think they're, they're going to be the oldest team in the NHL. They were the second oldest last year, and they added a 37 and a 44-year-old and brought back everybody else. So, yeah, I'll, I would venture a guess that they might, you know, get that average up above the Washington Capitals. But it doesn't matter to them. They're going to play the way that... That's what Barry Trotz wants. He doesn't want young players on that team. And for young players, they have to think like old players. That's why he has such an issue with Matt Barzell half the time. Because he's a young player that wants to play like a young player. Barry Trotz wants him to play like an older player. Play like a veteran. And now you still see Barzell go out and do his thing because he is that talented of a, of a player. 
You still see Anthony Beauvillier do the same things. But this team is going to be good. I, I'm not going to shit on this team anymore. I can't. You know? I Maybe if they start out the season like 0-10, I'll, I'll start shitting on them. But honestly, as long as they're in a playoff position, they're where they want to be. It's like in the playoffs last year. I've never seen a team more comfortable to be down a goal in the postseason than they were all year last year in the playoffs. So you know what? They're going to be a team that's going to look comfortable to not be in a postseason spot until the trade deadline. They're going to be fine. They're going to be a playoff team, and once they get in the playoffs, they're going to be one of the hardest outs you can have. So I'm done disrespecting the New York Islanders. I know my friends on Long Island are going to be happy about that. On both the Islanders Never Say Die podcast, the Nassau Men podcast, the Bar Down Breakdown podcast. Y'all got me the last couple of years. I've talked shit. And it's been thrown back in my face, but I can't do it anymore. New York Islanders, to me, top team in the Metropolitan Division as of right now. But that is going to do it for today's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. That is going to do it for all of my division previews. I hope you enjoyed them. I hope if you didn't listen to one or if you missed one, you go back and listen to it. This is episode 9 of the Hockey Hotbed, so episodes 6, 7, and 8 are also division previews of the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Central Divisions. So please make sure you check them out. Please make sure you download them so I know where you're listening from and I know that you're listening. And also, if you would, give us a rating, five stars on Apple Podcasts. That just helps get our name out there and helps share this content with more people around the globe and around the United States and around everywhere. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. This is the last week of the year, the last week of 2021, without regular season hockey. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. But that's going to do it for today. We'll see you guys on Friday. Have a great week, hockey fans.